In the early 90s, communication scholars began talking about the old concept of the newspaper. You know, those things on paper with ink. Terry Mattingly speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The concept behind this, they called it the Daily We. That there was supposed to be a media product that we would consume that would help us learn about other people in our community, in our nation, and that we would at least be consuming some of the same information for the sake of debate, discourse, etc. The internet is absolutely brilliant at destroying the daily we. You can listen to Terry Mattingly's presentation, Making the Case for News Discernment, on an audio DVD of both of our 2017 Making the Case conferences. We'll send it to you for a year-end tax-deductible donation of $300. Just click the DVD logo at issuesetc.org. Outrage addiction just makes us all stupider, and it prevents us from being able to understand key distinctions, prevents us from being able to properly analyze and interpret very simple concepts that are in front of us. That's why I think it's so sad that patriarchy has become a bad word. God is our Father. No one understands the importance of fathers better than Christians, we who have God as our Father. At least in American evangelicalism, there is this idea that the Holy Spirit works only through spontaneity. You gotta be making it up on the spot or else it's not spiritual. The Holy Spirit apparently only works through improv. Farmers in South Dakota listen to issuesetc.org while combining our corn and feeding the world. We think about this with our young daughters, our granddaughters. We think about how they appear in the world around us. They are victims in a lot of ways of the prying eyes of men from the time, well, nowadays, from the time that they're very young. Apparently, this is now increasingly acceptable in our society. And so what do we do? Well, we can protect them as long as we can as fathers and grandfathers. But then at some point, you have to teach modesty or maybe you need to start teaching modesty at the very beginning. But does this issue of modesty does it apply only to our daughters, to, to women, or also to men as well? Greetings, welcome to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're coming to you live on this Wednesday afternoon, November the 15th. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is going to join us here in the first hour or so of Issues Etc. We're going to be talking about teaching modesty without, well, without teaching legalism in our series on Raising Christian Children in an Age of Secular Progressivism. A little bit later in the program, Kevin Voss will join us. We'll be talking with him about artificial intelligence and religion. And Kelly Schumacher will join us to talk about church architecture, what it does by way of witness to the world, to an unbelieving world, and even teaching Christians as well. Feel free to join us with your questions or comments over the next hour. Our call-in number, one 623 6943 our in-studio email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. Our Twitter address, at issuesetc. And our Issues Etc. listener comment line, 618-223-8382. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is a regular guest. He is executive producer of Worldview Everlasting and host of a radio program called Sharper Iron. Jonathan, welcome back to Issues Etc. Thanks, Todd. Glad to be here. This is usually thought of a girl thing. 
But is it also applicable teaching modesty to our boys? Well, I'm going to go, I think, a step further. This is normally thought of as a sex thing, and it's it's bigger than that, too. So we sort of think of modesty as, oh, yeah, we've got to cover up the ladies a little bit, right? And to be sure, to your point, we're living in an era where the, the men are also becoming sex symbols, things which are people who we would look on as objects. They've been objectified as something to be desired. And there's something about teaching a young man as well to to recognize those pitfalls and everything that that means, which hopefully we'll explore a little bit in this hour. But I think it's even it's more than just sexuality. We live in a hypersexualized country, world, popular culture, to be sure. But modesty, biblically speaking, is very much connected to what I think classically we would call, say, humility. It's it's the opposite of vanity, right? And so, and in, in this, to without any question, like at this highly terrifying level, we live in a time where it is put upon you as a human being to glorify your own image, to desire to be looked on by others, and to do everything in your power to make that happen in such a way that that you would kind of compel everybody else at the very least to want to be you right i mean isn't that what facebook is or or instagram is and no that's not all that it is certainly there are good uses for these tools but if you look at what has happened to our culture and our mindset and the way we use these tools, this has been amplified in a pretty profound way. And this this me-driven or this look-at-me narcissism is an epidemic. It is a problem. And so the question becomes, and so as we're going to raise our children as Christians and try to teach them both to live in this world in which you're pretty much going to have to know Facebook Facebook exists. I mean, if you want to fast from it or don't use it, fine. But but it is there, right? It's affecting everybody else around you. How do we teach a modest mind? And then, certainly, how does that apply to when your 16-year-old or 12-year-old daughter is wanting to go shopping for various clothes? And you got to think about it at that level as well. And at the same time, how do we do all of this without becoming legalist? Because it is so easy. Once we start thinking, okay, this is the way that I'm going to strive to be to be modest. So let's just say, uh, you know, I want people to to read my comments and respond on Facebook, and so I I I spend hours on this, and I'm always hovering around the notifications, and and I can't not respond to everything because I'm just addicted to that attention, right? Which is immodest. And so my way of of handling this is, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna step back. I'm not gonna be on Facebook. Well, that's one thing. But it's very very easy. To then say, therefore, everyone should also do this because Facebook is evil. And now you've gone from pursuing modesty to a different kind of pride, a different pitfall, the, the pitfall of legalism, where your attempt to handle your own sin it becomes a, a law that God has not given, which you apply to, to everybody else. So, I mean, there's, there's so many pitfalls in this conversation, Todd. I'm actually terrified to have it on the air <laughs> um, because there's so many different directions where we can, we can be misunderstood in this. So I just want to emphasize at the start heavily that the, the real push here is, is to recognize that the virtue of modesty is tied in with the virtue of humility, that is, to, to seek the good of others rather than the good of self, and that this finally trickles down to how we handle raising our children in, in the hypersexualized culture. But it starts with, with a, a higher virtue. So it's not exactly humility, 
But it's no. something it's something akin to me to hear you describe it that way. There is I, I'm trying to think of what the flip side of modesty is. You described it as kind of advertising ourselves, not only sexually, but advertising ourselves or seeking attention for ourselves. But there's not I don't I can't think of one English word that covers that. Yeah, I'm struggling with it too. I mean, vanity is sort of the the other side of it, uh, you know, or narcissism would would be the opposite of that. And it, you just oh, I lost what you just you just said it really well that, that, that had me going in another direction again. Well, seeking it, attention for ourselves, and maybe that's what's behind both the impulse to constantly be checking your social media and. A young lady saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm actually a young lady now, and I'd like young men to know about it. That's exactly it. I mean, if, if you look at how our culture has become more sexualized over the last 25 years, I'm thinking I can only really speak to 25 years of watching because that's about when I started watching, you know, TV and media, not a little bit less than that, more than that. But if you've watched the move to further and further extreme sexual provocation forget pornography, we're just talking advertisements, right? That has all been about gaining attention from the start. It's about, look at me. Uh, Why does the girl who goes to the Catholic school where they have to all wear a certain set of clothing, why does she try to get the skirt to be an inch shorter, right? So that they can't use the measuring rod or whatever. Why? What's she trying to gain? Attention. She's trying to say, look at me. And so this is where, you know, if we're just going to point our finger at the culture around us and say, look at all those people whose, whose necklines are too low, or look at these guys who, who don't wear their shirts or, or whatever. If, if all we're going to do is point at that and say, they're wrong, I, I think we find ourselves in a deep pot of hypocrisy. If we're at the same time saying, look at me, look at me, with all of our own little more Christianized versions, I guess they would be more modest versions of vanity, if you, you know, in a, in a weird sense. But I think we have to also look within and really be challenged by what it means to to live in a world in which self-promotion is part of who we are and yet recognize how evil and self-centered it really, really is. I'm not sure I got a clean answer for any of this, but it, it starts with acknowledging we're not over or we're not above the culture ourselves as we sit here making having this conversation. You recently had a, an encounter where at least you heard someone say, I shouldn't have to worry about what I wear just because someone else has a problem with it. Yeah, and and this gets to the kind of the heart of the thing, right? Because it, it, it's really modesty is really about love. It's really about because I'm gonna, I'm gonna step back and then I'll, I'll go to that that encounter in the question. The reason why I'm just gonna speak for myself here, right? When I do my hair, because I like to do my hair, and I put on my leather jacket because I like my leather jacket, and I put on my sunglasses because I like my sunglasses, and I go walking toward my my car or from my car in the parking lot to get my Starbucks. Why do I like putting all that stuff on? It's because I want you to look at me. And why do I want you to look at me? It's because I want you to be jealous of me. That's why. I want you to envy me. And in that, and here I am, chief of sinners, I'll I'll admit it. Uh, I I am loveless. I I am desiring a godhood among men. I, I am desiring for all to worship me. And this is the root of everything that's wrong with us, right? Everywhere, anywhere. So that modesty becomes, in this sense, to try to act with love toward your neighbor in how you would present yourself to them. Now, that doesn't mean you can't wear nice clothes or look okay. We're not going to stop envy, right? But it does mean 
repenting of my desire to be envied, right? So, and then recognizing that how I look or how I behave does have an impact on the world around me. And sometimes that impact is, is beyond my control, but I should love my neighbor anyway. So the conversation I heard was somebody saying, they were, they were referring to the fact that I guess it had been brought to their attention that, that what they were wearing, this was a girl, what she was wearing was a struggle to a man who who was not you know intimately connected to her via marriage or anything like that and she said this in response she said i shouldn't have to worry about what i wear just because someone else has a problem with it and it, and it struck me forget the sex again for a moment it struck me how hateful the comment was right that, that it's basically like i don't care about you i'm gonna do what's right for me and this is immodest at, at the at the core, most core level of immodesty. That is the definition of immodest is I don't care about you. Right. So, again, we can get to the conversations about sexuality and recognizing, say, in a woman, a woman's body, you have an impact on the men around you. You're going to. It's, it's part of what is flawed with man right now. It's also part of what God designed man to be. He decided to look on his wife and find her beautiful, right? But now in his sin, he, he abuses it. He doesn't, he's not satisfied with one woman. He wants many. And there are a few men who don't, but most men struggle with that in their minds, at the very least, in their hearts. Know that. Know that. And then strive to, to love your neighbor, right? Rather than just think, I'm going to dress for me and, and for me alone. Because the more that we, don't have to worry about what other people think in this in the sense of i don't care about you well then the the less the less we are christian to each other in our behavior and and if modesty is anything i suppose it is a desire to be christian in our behavior pastor jonathan fisk is our guest it's part nine of our series on raising christian children in an age of secular progressivism today teaching modesty we'll come back and look at some bible passages the first one he wants to recommend is from first corinthians 8 about what commends us to god and what doesn't commend us to god he's host of a radio show called sharper iron and author of the book broken seven christian rules that every christian ought to break as often as possible stay tuned Comfort, comfort ye my people, for unto us a child is born. Good news of great joy, the titles of Christ, the Magnificat. These are some of the Christmas card themes produced by Ad Crusum. Send a greeting card this Christmas season that's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. AdCrusum.com, confessing the faith through art and word. AdCrusum.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Orphan Grain Train is the Lutheran Federal Credit Union Ministry of the Month. During November, if you open a Lutheran FCU loan to meet your financial needs, or if you use your Lutheran FCU credit card for a qualifying amount of purchases, Lutheran FCU will give you cash back and give that same amount of money to Orphan Grain Train. Learn more at LutheranFCU.org. Lutheran Federal Credit Union. Good for you. Good for the church. LutheranFCU.org where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
How do we continue faithfully to confess and practice our Lutheran faith in a culture of secularism, pluralism, and relativism? The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November is the 2017 edition of Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation. You can browse before you buy at issuesetc.org or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation, 2017 edition. What is the state of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in 2017? Take an in-depth look at trends, data, and stories from around the LCMS when you read the Lutheran Witness Magazine's annual State of the Synod issue this November. Visit cph.org slash trilutheranwitness to get six issues for only $6.99. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the contemporary world from a Lutheran perspective. cph.org slash trilutheranwitness. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Part 9 of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, teaching modesty. You were going to take us to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. What is there that speaks to this issue? Modesty. Love for your neighbor. Seeing that what I do impacts my neighbor and being willing to reserve myself and my desires for their good. And in the context of this, Paul is talking about not sex at all. He's talking about food offered to idols, an issue that we don't always really even think about, right, as Americans. It's not a particular thing we're, we're at least that we're aware of, that, that we're dealing with. But he says some things about the creation, about the first article, about what God has designed that, that I think apply across the board. So in, in chapter 8, verse 8, he says, food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And it's, this is going to sound a little weird, so I'm going to ask you to stick with me here. But so far as the created order is concerned, you could say the same thing about nudity. So I'm going to retranslate this here, but I'll explain it afterwards. It's going to sound weird when I say it, but it's true. Nudity does not commend us to God. We are no worse if we are nude or clothed, only take care that this right of yours does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, granted, since the fall, I think we can agree, we should be clothed. But clothing yourself does not does not make you better. If anything, it's your shame. It's, it's an acknowledgement of your not being better. By putting on clothes, at least insofar as leaves or animal skins, you are not really overcoming your sin. That has to be done through Christ. That has to be done through a whole new body that's being put on. But in this, don't mistake the shame of your sin for an actual shame of your body. That your body is a good creation of God, designed to be beautiful, whether you think so or not, and whether you you do so appropriately or not, it is designed to be beautiful and to be, to be a, a, a gift to the world. Not only just beautiful in a sexual way. See, we can only think of beautiful that way these, these days. That's, that's how awful we've become. But that, that your hands, when they grow calloused with the task, are beautiful and, and can be looked on in such a way. 
right? Or that the voice that somebody sings with as they're, if you looked inside the, the, the voice box, it wouldn't be pretty, but it, but it is as it rattles around and, and vibrates and sends sound through the air to, to awaken ears, right? That the, that the body is a beautiful thing. Knowing that and remembering that is important so that we don't think that modesty is getting rid of the body, right? That's what Islam does for the poor ladies, right? The modesty effectively is hide. We can't see you, right? That's not right either. That's missing something. But what we should, as we now to, to swing the full, full way around with this first Corinthians 8 passage, as we are recognizing that neither being naked nor being clothed really has anything connected to our righteousness, to our goodness. Take care that this, this knowledge, this, this right of yours, this freedom that you have in Christ to love the first article again and to not only be killed by it, that this does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So when it comes to, now let's bring it back to that conversation of, of the lady who was confronted whether rightly or wrongly, rudely or kindly, I don't know, but was confronted over her dress and, and how maybe she should think differently about what she's wearing. Let's bring it back then. Okay, so so yeah, you're right. You shouldn't have to worry about what you wear just because someone else has a problem with it because ultimately it doesn't matter. But for that person, if they're a brother and sister in Christ or I guess otherwise, for that person it does matter. They're hurt. Or they're trying not to hurt you. Right? They're trying not to betray you. They're trying not to betray their spouse. They're trying not to hurt somebody else. And so in all things, right? And this is kind of my, my real point here. In all things, we should take care that our rights do not become things which harm those around us. And only in that then, and with that mindset, do I think that we can rightly approach what the Bible does in fact say about, particularly ladies, what you ought to wear. Because there are words in the Bible about this. And they're pretty, well, they're pretty frank, honestly. But if you don't come at it from the, this understanding of love, it really is just going to end up sounding like a bunch, of, a bunch of rules. A bunch of rules that maybe don't even make any sense at, at all. I'm reminded of what the Apostle talks about. And these seem so quaint to us, but he talks about a woman covering her head when she prays. Um, he even says, "For the sake of the angels, or a men not men not cutting their hair, or growing uh, their hair long, and women not cutting their hair." I know that there's some cultural stuff tied up in there, but it seems to me in the in the same vein where Paul is saying, "Look, this is this is all about receiving these first article gifts, but in but uh, as God's people, restraining one's freedom with respect to those things." Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, you're right, I think there is some cultural issues which Paul himself says. This is a cultural matter. You guys decide for yourselves in, in 1 Corinthians 11. But when he brings up the angels, I, I'm pretty convinced this is because like even the angels are bothered by our, our immodesty. And so now that you know what it is to pursue what's good, you know, don't flaunt evil. <laughs> you know, it, it hurts the angels, the poor things, right? So so care about them. Or again, we we. We, we like to throw out the fruit of the Spirit in Sunday school, right, and sing a little song about it or, or something, talk about, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. Aren't they all great? You know, against such things, there is no law. Who could care? You know, who could ever argue with us about this? But it's like, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. Okay, what's next, right? We kind of fall off as we go toward the back. Everyone loves love and peace. Kindness, okay. Goodness, not so bad. Yeah, faithfulness, that's good. Gentleness, okay. The one that I just feel gets he gets left out in the cold is self-control. Self-control. That the Spirit's work upon you 
through the knowledge of your redemption in the blood of Jesus Christ, will awaken in you a desire for self-control. And in this will push you to be aware that what I do, how I look, how I act, it affects others. And that the sin within me doesn't have to come out of me. Now, it's, it's, you're going to. You're going to have sins of thought, word, and deed. But kind of Christian new obedience or, or sanctification or growth is recognizing that I'm probably never going to stop the thoughts. Those just pop up. There's there, the darkness within. And the words, well, I can start to stop those. I may not stop them forever, but I can, I can learn to be slow to speak. Right? And, and then the deeds, well, here's where I can really begin to, even though the thoughts running from my heart, up my, out my arm to my hand, smack that hand down. I say, no, 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 body. You don't have to reign over me, even though I want <laughs> the passion of my flesh wants to. And so to see, again, so you want to talk about where is modesty and start teaching it to our children. The place I would go first in terms of a text is Galatians 5.23, that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And that that self-control is is engaged for the sake of the neighbor around you. And that the passions, the, the desires of your heart, the emotions that you have, they aren't natively good. Sometimes created by the Word of God, they will be good again now, right? You're going to find good passions. But they aren't natively good. They're natively selfish. And that the Christian life The truly, in this sense, the truly modest life amongst the neighbor is the one that seeks to control the self's passions for the good of the neighbor. And this is bigger than sex. We're going to start talking about, you know, sexual imagery and all that here in a moment. But but to just recognize it, it goes from a bigger thing down into how this impacts the sixth commandment and the lust of the eyes. I think Paul puts self control at the end of the line because it's kind of like coveting in the commandments. It is the one that in many ways takes us back around to, to the whole purpose of the Spirit's activity in us. The Spirit is, he says, if you live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. This is not anything in our innate ability to do what the Spirit urges us to do. And uh, self-control is the most difficult of all things yeah. for us to it- do. I like how, I mean, as you point out, so, so the coveting commandments kind of bring you back around to the first commandment. So, so when I covet, what I'm doing is having another God. That's kind of the definition. So they kind of pull you back to the front. And if you, if you look, I haven't looked closely enough to see if the rest of the, the fruit of the spirit do this at all, but, but self-control and love are kind of the same thing. Now, not in American parlance. In American parlance, love is, I, I speak boldly of it because it seems nice, but then I'm going to do what I want anyway. Christian love is hand in hand with self control. It can't be, it can't, you can't love without controlling the self and holding back the, the evil and the enemy within. Pastor Fisk, we have been witness to, sadly, over the last couple of months, revelations about uh, sexual harassment, sexual assault, just terrible behavior on the part of famous men one after another uh, that all kind of come down to fully grown men unable to control themselves. What are your pastoral thoughts there? I mean, it's, it's tough in, the, in, in more than one way. One thing is, I mean, I kind of want to start with saying that we don't, we shouldn't expect pagans to act like Christians. 
they, they don't have a reason to. And so I'm not really surprised by all of this. Certainly I'm bothered by it. But to see, for example, uh, you know, somebody who, who I'm thinking of Kevin Spacey particularly because uh, I really was enjoying that show as awful as it was. I was enjoying the the Nietzschean nihilism, the, the the lack of goodness in the created order, which, if you don't have God, is kind of true. It looks awful, and 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 I can't help but marvel, though, that the guy who acted in this behavior as an actor, not not the man Kevin Spacey, but the uh, Frank Underwood, the man that he played, we're all adoring that man. We're, we want more of him, and then the guy does it in real life, and we have this sort of Oh, now it's wrong thing, right? Yeah, I'm just I'm just stunned by that. I think it's fascinating to me. Then there's the issue of when you're dealing with someone who has no alternative to his sexual immorality, that, that there is nothing but just what? His pagan will of of self-interest is just going to decide not to follow his passions. I mean, you're, you're expecting impossible things here. When you have someone in that situation, it is effectively the same thing as addiction. It's an, it's an addiction to, and sex certainly can become an addiction as well. Pornography can become an addiction, is an addiction as well. So you have somebody who's in a trapped state in a world which is telling them that they should pursue whatever their dreams and hearts desire in a world that is glorifying sexuality. And, and then you're going to like, I don't know, somehow act holier than thou when the guy just does what everybody's doing and gets caught. Now, I'm not trying to justify Kevin Spacey's behavior. A grown man making a pass at a 14-year-old boy is an abomination. It's wrong. Just like a 19-year-old man having sex with his 18-year-old girlfriend. It's an abomination. It's wrong, right? So, what what I constantly worried about in this, and maybe this is coming across and maybe it's not, is how in our in our shock... And our anger at the at the at the evil that we see out there, we're unwilling to reckon with the evil that we see in here, and we really treat ourselves like we're on a a different pedestal. So that so that we would see not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of the mind, as meaning that I'm somehow not as bad as the world. When it's the other way around, the renewal of my mind is my recognition that I am just as bad as the world. That that I I own, I am a party to the American culture, the corporate sin, in which both a show like uh, a show like House of Cards or a, an individual and an individual's behavior, like what we saw with Kevin Spacey, in which this this can happen. I'm part of that, and whether I think I, I directly justly ought to be punished doesn't matter. I'm one with this body that is the American mind. And the more that I think that I'm not, the more I can almost guarantee you, you are. The only way to not be is to begin to call it what it is, right? Have it die at the cross. But to do that, I've got to call it what it is, not just out there. I've got to call it what it is inside of me, right? i got to call out my own immodesty, whether it is sexual or, or whether it is simply vanity. So in that, though, I mean, maybe more to what your, your question is really getting at. I mean, it is terrifying. There's no question. It is terrifying, how how much can we be surprised by Hollywood? And and again, I just I'm just stunned that, that they can sit there and they can advocate what they've advocated as a 
as a society, as a political culture, I'm talking about Hollywood again, and then as a as a, a movie and an entertainment culture and what they ask us to watch, that they can do all of this and then when somebody is actually just doing that, suddenly turn your backs on him and, and vilify him. It does give me some hope, I suppose, that the that great silent majority within the middle of America at least still has a few taboos left. But uh, if, if it's just a taboo, again, how long can it stand against the tide that we see? That's maybe a different topic. Pastor Jonathan Visk is our guest. He's host of a radio show called Sharper Iron. He is author of the book called Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. Folks, more than a quarter of a century has passed since the explanation to Luther's small catechism has been updated. And in that last 25 years, a lot of things have changed. Citing culture have changed dramatically, and our culture has increasingly diverse views and worldviews and religions and challenges that face Christianity. That's why Concordia Publishing House has produced the 2017 edition of Luther's Small Catechism with Explanation. It's the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Find it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order this new edition of Luther's Small Catechism with its explanation, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, we'll turn to Romans 12, talk more about teaching modesty to our children in an age of secular progressivism. It is the greatest adventure you could ever possibly imagine. It's demanding, it's hard, it's challenging, and what a blessing it is. Dr. Larry Rast, president of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, on why a man should consider the vocation of pastor. And it is an incredible blessing to be honored with the opportunity to work with these incredible young men uh, and older men uh, as well who uh, are committing themselves to the proclamation of God's Word, the right distinction of law and gospel, and to uh, take the good news of Jesus Christ into all the world. You can find out more about studying for the pastoral ministry at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, at ctsfw.edu, or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, forming servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Forty Years Greatly Blessed is this year's theme at Metro East Lutheran High School in Edwardsville, Illinois. We engage young adults in a Christ-centered environment and provide an alternative to secular public high schools. Please help us provide tuition assistance to more students by making a special 40th anniversary tax-deductible gift at melhs.org and click on the giving page. Or call me, Dr. Jay Krause, Principal, at 618 656 Most Christian schools today use the same books, teaching methods, and structure as America's failing anti-Christian public schools. We owe it to our fathers and descendants in the faith to offer a distinctively Lutheran education. Redeemer Classical School in Fort Wayne, Indiana offers a time-tested education in the great books of the Western world and the catechism and confessions of the Lutheran Church. 
Visit fortwayneclassical.com to learn more about our curriculum, enroll your children, or sponsor the education of young Lutherans. That's fortwayneclassical.com. Real Reformation Radio. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod celebrates and affirms life from the time of conception until natural death and every time in between. For this reason, LCMS Life Ministry is a program singularly devoted to upholding the sanctity of human life, both in our church body and the culture at large. Life Ministry provides educational materials, hosts conferences, and works closely with allies such as Lutherans for Life. For more information, visit lcms.org life and follow LCMS Life Ministry on Facebook. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatics series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. Tell me why you keep fooling little boy. Welcome back to Issues Satyr. It's part nine of our series on raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism. Today, teaching modesty, Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. The next place you wanted to take us was this is no surprise because it talks about not being conformed to the world. What do we find there in, in Romans chapter 12, the first three verses? Well, you find Paul telling us, again, I kind of referenced this a little bit before, that there's a transformation that should take place in our minds, that we, born again in the grace of Jesus, underneath the grace of Jesus, have a new way to look at everything, from who God is, that he's for us and not against us, all the way down to what is the right thing to do. Right? So he says that, that by testing, he says, you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that, that testing, that, that unleashing of the mind from the need for legalistic precepts allows me then to look at what the law of God actually says and see in it a path, a, a walk, a good way to go and to begin pursuing that as, as clearly as it says in, in, in the text and passages that, again, we're going we're gonna to look at. Which, you know, if we don't enter it this way, there's just always a, a tendency to knee-jerk at some of these texts. And, and, you know, what we haven't talked about here today, but we've talked about quite a bit in the past, is the impact of feminist thinking on the world and, and on American minds and on American Christianity. And as I said before the break about American culture in general, if you're a a lady living in the United States or the Western world, and you think, no, feminist, it hasn't in fact impacted me at all. Feminism, no way. Ah, that's the scariest thing I can hear. That means you've decided to be blind to how it is impacting you, as opposed to recognizing that it's, it's in the water. It's, it's the air that we breathe. You know, and moving out of feminism for a second, postmodernism, you could say the same thing. We're postmoderns. Whether we like it or not, we are. The way to fight back is to own that to call it what it is, to see where, when the scriptures call us out, we knee-jerk, we react, we don't want to believe it, and, and don't throw those passages out, go back in harder, go back in with abandon, and ask, where can this become something I love? 
versus something that, that that at least my flesh at this point has taught me to hate. So if I can take us to uh, the two texts I think are, are most pertinent then. So if we're going to move from teaching self-control, that is teaching modesty, to our children, guys and girls, the place I would go, I guess I do think of girls more. I've got four of them. So, you know, the place I would go first is, and but I think I think this applies to guys too, is First Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and following, where Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And I think that's important there too. What, what are we to do with our hands? We're to use them without anger, and we're to use them without fight. And likewise, he says also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with, now notice these two words next to each other, with modesty and self-control. And then he lists uh, some things that could be taken very, very woodenly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness. I'm going to save that and come back to that there. But I want to talk about, you know, what does he mean? Not with braided hair, gold, pearls, costly attire. Does it mean he can't braid your hair, right? If, you, if, you're, if your six-year-old has a braid in the ponytail, have we now just broken the scriptures? I, I, I'd, I'd slow you down there a little bit and say, no, no, that's not what's going on. The, the, the braided hair in first century Roman, Greco-Roman culture was publicly used kind of like lipstick was later in the Enlightenment era, as a sign of prostitution or a sign of looseness. It was an attempt to shout, hey, I'm available, in a certain way. And so what he's getting at here is, as you adorn yourself, lady, and this does apply to men too, it should be without the proclamation that you are available, right? Without the proclamation that you are to be seen as a sexual potential, the gold and pearls and costly attire goes a slightly different direction. And this is less about sexuality, and this is more about flaunting your position, or flaunting your wealth, or, or even flaunting your power. Right? So he says, if you're going to try to find value in yourself, if you're going to try to do what is good as the human, as the woman that you are, it is not by seeing yourself as a sexual object or by a person of wealth. But rather, what does he say? What should a woman who professes godliness, who professes Christianity, arm herself with? Where should she see her value? With good works. Huh? And so, there are other places in Scripture where he's very clear that some of these include things like hospitality, care of the saints, raising your children, all that kind of stuff. But it's kind of just at the key here, the first good work would be to recognize that how you project your physical image to the world is something you need to exercise self-control with. Will this change depending on what culture you're in? I mean, we can go back 200 years, and if you wore shorts, ladies, you would have been thought of as being loose, right? Well, I'm not sure we just hop back there and say we should apply that today. I think I think that when my, because for, I'll speak for me, when, when my 12-year-old goes out, we let her wear shorts. Yeah, how long those shorts are? Well, we we draw a line on that, right? And that's a conversation we have with her. And then the you know to bring this back to what the show is really about here, our real our real topic is, what does that conversation look like? 
with my 12-year-old or my 10-year-old or, or my 8-year-old. And we start this down that low, actually. We start this with our younger children so that it's something that they're aware of. Like, look, what are you wearing today? No, that's not really appropriate. Or no, you need more than that. And sometimes it's because it's too cold outside. But sometimes it's also like, no, that that's an in-house play clothing. Or no, those are pajamas. You can wear those shorts to sleep. But but when we're going to go out, you don't wear those shorts. And, and here's why, my children, because you are a woman. And because men look on women with sexuality. And and first, we don't want people to take advantage of you or think you're available in that way. And second, we want you to respect yourself and those around you, right? And 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 uh, lift uh, lift up others through how you project yourself to them. This is all kind of tied up in then, right, with this modesty and self-control, not with braided hair, gold, or jewelry. Peter says a very similar thing in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's, it's almost identical in many ways. He, he says in verse 3, uh, do not let your adorning be external, right? This is what I'm getting is, who are you? Who should people look at you and see? Should they see? Now he says the braiding of hair. There it is again, the putting off gold or jewelry, or even he says the clothing you wear at all, which I, I love the irony in this, because if you want to get really wooden and literal with the text here, he says, do not let your adorning be external clothing. <laughs> well, he's not saying go nude. Although if you're going to get literal, it's, that's what he's saying. But no, you read it with the context. It's a, it's an aside, right? He's saying about what kind of external things you shouldn't focus on. Don't let your focus be on what you wear as if you're trying to, to be something based on the clothes. But let your adorning, verse 4, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Something which, by the way, feminism would see as the most abominable thing in the world. To, to teach that a gentle and quiet spirit is something for a woman to pursue. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to end around on this one a little bit here and, and say, you know what? A gentle and quiet spirit is something all people should pursue. Not just women. It's a virtue within Christianity to be quiet, to be silent, to be, again, I said it earlier, slow to speak, to be gentle. It's a, it's a wonderful thing that woman has within her special vocation, within her unique vocation as, as mother and wife, and an elevated call to this is not a demeaning of womanhood. It's, it's a lifting up of her as a great and precious crown to man, as, as bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, the queen upon his throne, right? So, but, but to bring it back again, we're, we're trying to get to how do we engage our young women and our young men with that idea? With the idea that humility, modesty, self-control are things to pursue. That, hey, look at me. Let me do whatever it takes to get you to look at me is something to not pursue. Is something that, in, in fact, is, is the opposite of love and is hate as as the reason why there is war and bloodshed and famine in this world is because we're all doing that and that the future world of the life to come purchased for us with the blood of christ is a world in which we will never do that in which it will never be look at me it will be instead first you know look at christ look at our god isn't he amazing and second then hey there look at you i'm so glad you're here how may i how may i be of service to you now, Todd, I, I just talked for a long time there. We haven't really dealt enough, I don't think, today with you. How do you impart this then as a sexual ethic to your, your daughters and your sons? That's like the next step, right? Well, let's, but let's, you really uh, need... let's talk about that on the other side of the break. When we come back, 
We'll continue our conversation with Pastor Jonathan Fisk, host of the radio show called Sharper Iron and author of the book, Broken, Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break As Often As Possible. Stay tuned. Have you been too busy to get your associate's, bachelor's, or master's degree? Concordia University, Wisconsin offers 50 online educational options. Find out more at issuesetc.org. Click the Concordia University online logo and enter the program code ISSUES to waive your application fee. Concordia University, Wisconsin is here to strengthen and support the church. Lifelong Lutheran Learning. Issuesetc.org and click Concordia University, Wisconsin online. Remember when education was about the fundamental skills of reading, writing, and arithmetic? And about reading great literature and studying history to give our kids a model for what it is to be a good person? Memoria Press's Classical Christian Curriculum offers that very model for your homeschool. Get $5 off your next order by using the coupon code LPR17. For more information, go to memoriapress.com. Memoria Press, a classical Christian education that works. Simultaneously saint and sinner, you're listening to Issues Etc. Pastors are the ones who are getting in the way of what the Spirit wants to do. Pastor Chris Rosebro speaking at this year's Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. The Spirit really wants to take the church and supercharge it and cause this worldwide global renewal to occur and for billions of souls to be harvested for Jesus. But your pastor, your pastor wears clerical collars. You sing hymns. You're out of date. You're in the way of the Spirit. So give way. Get those old wineskins out and it's time for the new wineskins to come in. You can listen to Pastor Rosebro's teaching, Making the Case Against Modern Day Prophets and Apostles, on an audio DVD from the 2017 Making the Case conferences. We'll send it to you for a year-end donation of $300. Issuesetc.org. Click the audio DVD. Welcome back to Issues, Satira. I'm Todd Wilkin. We talk about raising Christian children in an age of secular progressivism today, teaching modesty. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is our guest. Jonathan, how do we impress this, all that you discussed before the break, how do we impress and cultivate this among our children, both our daughters and our sons? Our sons have a role to play in this immodesty, but also in kind of feeding the other side of the immodesty too. Yeah, I think there's two areas. One is we have to become willing to talk with our children about sex, period. We have to tell them what it is. We have to tell them what it's for from a biblical perspective, which is three things, right? It's it's for companionship, it's for pleasure, and it's for procreation. We have to be able to tell them these things without being ashamed of them because this, these are good things. This is a good thing. It's a gift. And we have to uh, help them believe that, see that it's part of life. It's, it's a goal of life, not just to have sex, right, but to be married, and, and to have a family. We also, when talking about sex, have to be honest with them about our sin. That there is a sinfulness connected to sex 
which is unique to men and women. Increasingly, it's not as unique as it maybe should be. Pornography has had a pretty nasty effect on the way women view men, as, as we kind of talked about. But at least intuitively, men have a certain way of approaching it, and, and women have another. And this is, I think, part of the gift initially, but it's been bent, right? But so when we're talking about modesty, sex, with our daughters particularly, we have to prepare them for a world which believes that they are objects, that they are things to be used, that they are candy, as, as the one song was, was referencing, and to defend themselves against that with their minds, with their behavior. And that goes for the men, too, increasingly. The other side, the other, so you got to talk with your kids about sex. The other side is, and this is where I'm emphasizing in my own family, at least, trying to understand context, that where you are has an impact on how you look or how you dress. And we said this, you know, before the break there a little bit with the idea of, uh, uh, you know, going outside on a cold day, right? Uh, you maybe don't wear what you would wear if you're in the house. The same thing could be said about your pajamas, right? If, what we let our kids wear for our pajamas, it doesn't matter much to us. If uh, within the home, that's fine. Or you could go in the direction of, say, even makeup, right? Uh, at what age do you start wearing makeup? And, and how much do you wear? And why? But why am I bringing this up? Because the danger is, if I start saying that, uh, and I'll try to, I'll try to put this in the most, you know, non-affrontive way possible. If I say to the, the, the pair of shorts that my daughter is wearing to bed, which are way too short to be out in public because they, in fact, would uh, inspire sexual attraction to a, a normal man because she's becoming a young woman now, right? If I say you can never wear these ever, you can't even wear them in the house to sleep. Now I'm starting down that road in which I'm, I'm making some some permanent statements that might be dangerous. Uh, what do we do with beauty? Right? Do we hide it? Do we cover it? Do we get rid of it? What, what do we do You know, with, say, let's put this in a different place, makeup? Makeup is worn by a woman in order for her to be looked at. And we just talked about how the desire to be looked at is kind of our big problem, right? So do we say, you can't wear makeup? I'm not going to go there. I'm not. I, I, I'm, I like that my wife wears makeup. We've got about Does one she, minute here, Jonathan. Yeah, sure, actually. I like that my wife wears makeup. But when we... When she pursues that, she pursues it in a way so as not to appear overly attractive to the world in a way that would try to drive them to her as if she's above and apart from them. And then to impart that to the child as well, right? So as we teach a 12-year-old, here is what makeup is for. It's fine. It makes you pretty. But it's not for trying to attract every man to you. <laughs> Context becomes a big part of that. In the realm of recognizing what sex is and what sex is for, yeah, I guess is the best I can wrap it up. It's it's a it's such a huge topic, Todd. It's just it's endless. We could talk about this for hours. Pastor Jonathan Fisk is host of the radio show called Sharper Iron. He's author of the book Broken: Seven Christian Rules That Every Christian Ought to Break as Often as Possible. You'll find a link to this book under the Listen on Demand page at issues etc. Dot org, or you can call Concordia Publishing House and order Broken by Pastor Jonathan Fisk, 1-800-325-3040. That's 1-800-325-3040. Jonathan, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for letting me be on. In hour two of Issues Set, we're going to spend some time talking about artificial intelligence and religion. Saudi Arabia has recently made a citizen a, well, a robot, a very sophisticated uh, what shall I call it? Toy? 
it talks to the press. It has pat answers, it appears to think. It gives the illusion of intelligence. They've made this machine called Sophia Robot a citizen. The question is, what's her religion? Can she be programmed with one? In the meantime, another high-tech mogul has decided to start a church of artificial intelligence called Way of the Future, and he's dead serious about it. He says this artificial intelligence that he has yet to create will be the deity. We'll talk about artificial intelligence and religion with Kevin Voss, then we'll discuss church architecture with Kelly Schumacher. We'll be right back. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Hey, Todd, what have our listeners noticed first when visiting the LPR studios? Definitely the small size and the dirt. Well, not anymore. Thanks to our friends at the Cleaning Authority. They've turned this man cave into a space that meets even our wives' approval. Whether it's our office or your home, the Cleaning Authority is your cleaning service provider in the St. Louis area. To schedule a free estimate or to find out more, visit thecleaningauthority.com. Thecleaningauthority.com. Com. Hi, this is Pastor Clayton from Zion Lutheran Church of Mascuda, Illinois, a proud supporter of Issues Etc. Zion is a congregation firmly grounded in God's grace given in the Word and Sacraments where we treasure the timeless beauty of the liturgy. Zion is also a vibrant, young, family-friendly congregation where you would be warmly welcomed. Zion is located at 101 South Railway Street in Mascuda, Illinois, and we would love to share God's gifts of grace with you. For more information, please visit our website at zionmascuta.com. Dot com.